right, guys. Today's episode, I interview the chief operating officer, the COO of Bridges to Life. Now, he's been on staff since 2016, but he was a volunteer since way in the early 2000s. And the reason why he got involved was because his dad hired two hitmen to kill his mom and, and their three sons, including him. The story is incredible. There's a, there's a short documentary about it. I'm going to put all that on the website. But today's, man, today's episode is the perfect Father's Day episode. It includes forgiveness, restoration. Oh, man, it's heartbreaking. But it's also full of redemption. Stay tuned. We're going to do a background check on Jim Buffington. Let's go! Have you or someone you know had your life turned upside down because of your past? Of course I have. Everyone does background checks now, which makes it hard to bounce back. What do you believe? I believe your background shouldn't hold you back. It, sh- it should pay you back. This podcast will inspire you, motivate you, and inform you with everything you need to rise above your past and, and not be afraid to say, go, go ahead, check my background. My name is Jaden Gum, and this is is background check you already know let's go you can check my background i'm a forgiving felon so tell them that i won't back down now you can bet i won't live in regret it's time to earn some respect you are tuning in to background check hey everyone welcome to background check podcast i'm your host jaden gum and we believe your background shouldn't hold you back it should pay you back Whew, as always brought to you by forgiving felons helping people with the past realize their future we're doing some great things at Forgiven Felons. We're kind of in that transition stage where we're still helping a few guys uh, re-entry, and, uh, but we're also transitioning into the Resource Center where we're going to be able to help everybody throughout the Metroplex that gets out in the DFW area. Oh, man. It's, um, it's Father's Day weekend. Happy Father's Day to all you guys. Uh, I want to give some shout-outs real quick. Michael Etchison from the... Northeast Correctional Center in Bowling Green, Missouri. What's up? Thank you for your letter. Man, thank you for your donation. I appreciate you, man. Uh, uh, Great letter. Great letter. Uh, Thank you. We're going to be praying for you. Alexander from Albany County Jail. I know y'all have heard me talk about, you know, prison coffee and how much I love it. Um, Thank you, um, Alexander, for the, I don't even know how to pronounce that. Is it Nash or Ganache, whatever? But um, I haven't tried it yet, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So thank you, guys. Hey, listen, if you're listening from uh, wherever you're listening from, um, you know, if you want to share your story with us, share it with us. But uh, if, you, if you write in, tell us where you're listening from. I'd like to know kind of where who all is listening all over the nation. So uh, thank you, though, for all of you guys who have been writing in. Uh, I know the Lane Murray unit, the Roach unit, uh, the Kyle unit, everybody's listening from the Kyle unit. I was just there a week and a half, two weeks ago. Um, you guys, uh, Kyle unit guys, uh, Chaz's interviews coming up July 1st. All right. So y'all get ready for that one. So anyway, uh, Father's Day weekend, man, i got, got some happy, happy Father's Day shout outs to my dad in heaven. Papa, miss you, buddy. I miss you so much, man. Um, my, my father-in-law, Lane. Happy Father's Day, man. Uh, one of my all-time favorite spiritual fathers and friends, Tim Ferguson. Happy Father's Day, bud. Uh, all you men behind bars. I know there's a bunch of fathers behind bars, man. Happy Father's Day, and, and I can't wait to see you on the outside to um, to be the father you need to be. 
be the best father you can be from in there, but I can't wait till you get out and be the father that God, our Heavenly Father, called you to be. And if you want to know how to be the best version, father of yourself, uh, version of yourself, then ain't no way to do it other than having Jesus in your life. So, um, but anyway, before we go any further, we, we have gained a new sponsor, not a new one, but one we've been talking about already. Uh, his, his name is Rob Price and he owns RP Media and he's a really good friend of mine. And uh, what, what Rob does at RP Media, he's a full-service video production business specializing in documentary, corporate video promos, educational training videos, podcasting. Uh, he produces some great podcasts. And they even build small dig- uh, digital media studio design uh, build-out. I've seen some uh, studios that they've actually built out for small video and, and podcasts. So if you need that done, they can do that for you, too. Uh, Rob's got more than 25 years in the media industry, including he's a former CBN uh, producer, screenwriter, author of a book called Blood Covenant, church media pastor, and he's a digital media arts college professor. And where he's a professor at is the the university who did our documentary, and that's what he's most known for in our realm, at least, as he came to us a few years ago and said, we want to do a documentary on Forgiven Felons. And and it's uh, it's been out now for a while. It's on Roku TV, Tubi TV, and uh, and YouTube on the Christian Movie Channel. So he also did a uh, a thirty second commercial for a company I used to work for called Smoothie Factory. So go watch the documentary um, and watch the commercials. We get we get royalties for those. <laughs> and uh, so if you need any type of video work done, uh, call Rob today two one four three five four six three six four. 214-354-6364, or you can email him at Rob Price, R-O-B-P-R-I-C-E 6, the number 6, Rob Price 6 at gmail.com. Tell him you heard about uh, uh, him on Background Check Podcast, and he will give you 5% off any work you, you get done through 2022. All right, well, I guess we got to get to the interview, man. Jim Buffington, good friend, CEO of Bridges to Life. If you're listening in Texas and even some, uh, you know, units across the nation, Bridges to Life um, is a restorative justice uh, program, and they they bridge the gap between crime and victims, criminal and victims, and they, they have all these volunteers that have been victims of crime come in and do a 14-week class with these criminals who, who committed the crimes, but it's not, it's not, you know, the ones who committed the the acts against these victims. Um, hey, listen, if you hear some beeping noise, construction noise, I'm in my new shed, which is going to be, uh, it's going to be the recording studio, but I don't have all the soundproofing stuff in yet. So just bear with me. Um, anyway, Jim, uh, I've been on a speak, I've spoken on a panel with Jim. We've gotten to know each other. I know some people that work with Bridges to Life. And, uh, today, today, uh, that this podcast is airing June 17th is his birthday. So I want to sing happy birthday to you, Jim. You ready? Happy birthday. If you're out there, listen, sing along with me to Jim Buffington. You ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Jim Buffington. Happy birthday to you. Uh, so if you know Jim, uh, get your honey bun and put some peanut butter on it and, and pretend like you're blowing the candles out. Happy birthday, Jim. Um so today, man, you know, I knew part of his story. I knew I knew what happened, 
but I didn't know what happened. I didn't know everything about his story. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to cry. I cried. I teared up. Um, it's a, it's an impact. One of the most impactful interviews I've, I've ever done. And so, um, on the show page, we'll have the links to Bridges to Life website. We'll have the link to the documentary about that was made about him and his brothers and forgiving their mom, uh, forgiving their dad. Guys, this thing it's called it's called generational forgiveness for a reason because uh, it's it's just incredible. I, I don't even want to talk about it anymore. Uh, Jim Buffington, this is my interview today um, with him. Y'all enjoy. Jim, welcome to Background Check Podcast. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for letting me do a background check on you. Yes. <laughs> everybody passes. Oh, good. This is one that everybody passes. Um, but, you know, here at Background Check, we like to say uh, our motto is that your background shouldn't hold you back. It should pay you back. Uh, great. And uh, there's all different ways your background can pay you back by sharing your story mm-hmm. and, and touching somebody's lives. And they change and turn, you know, um, turn their life around. Their background pays them back. Uh, if you literally get paid to go speak and share your testimony, your background has literally paid you back. Right. Sometimes it's paid back in different ways, but, um, but anyway, thanks for, thanks for coming on the show, man. Um, you know, I know a lot of our listener base in inside prison will probably already know at least about the program that you're, uh, what's your position at Bridges of Life? I'm the chief operating officer. So Bridges you're the Life. COO. Okay. Yes, sir. Um, uh, and how long have you been there? Been there since 2016 as a COO, so six years, but I started as a volunteer in 2004. 2004. You've been doing yes. it that long, yes, huh? Yes, sir. Um, wow. All right. Now, t- give us give us a, a background, a little bit about what Bridges to Life does, then we'll get back into how you got involved with them. Sure. So we're, we're a restorative justice, faith-based program in prisons. Uh, we started here in Texas. We're actually in every Texas prison, as well as um, we're in 16 states, seven countries. But the program is actually uh, conducted uh, a lot of times either in the chapel or some education space. We meet in small groups. Right. We, we meet in small groups of 10 inmates with two or three volunteers. And a lot of times, one of the volunteers is a crime victim. And what the program focuses on are things like accountability, responsibility, confession, forgiveness, reconciliation, restitution. And what it looks like in this small group for about two hours is they they read a book called Restoring Peace that we provide, and they have eight or nine study questions each week that they will have answered uh, before they come to our program. And it's really just a small group discussion with volunteers and inmates about the answers to those questions. And, and we get to visually see men and women change through that 14-week process. Okay, so words that you mentioned like reconciliation, restoration, all those things, that, that kind of that speaks to the, the life in Bridges to Life. What does the bridges, sure. what, what part does that, how does, how do you, what are you bridging? How are sure. you bridging it and all that? Great question. So it's, we're restorative justice. And what that means is it's repairing the harm caused by crime. So we're bringing victims of crime into prison with offenders. Now, not their direct offender, but victims and offenders meet. 
and th- four of the 14 weeks, a victim will share their story. And, and so what happens is we get to help heal crime victims. And so they're on a path of many times on healing and forgiveness, and they're going through that bridge. And then the offender, a lot of them are angry, and they should be. They've ended up in prison, and they get to experience the bridge of uh, restoring peace in their lives, experiencing forgiveness, experiencing God's love and forgiveness through that process. So for both volunteers and offenders, they go through that process of Bridges to Life. You know, I really love the fact that you guys do that. You know, um, I, I went to prison. I had five DWIs, and I got out, and I wanted to start volunteering for MAD, mm-hmm. Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. And one of the things that I, I just wanted to challenge them on was was the fact that they didn't like they they didn't or couldn't uh, suggest forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Because I asked them, I said, "Hey, I said I want to I want to ask you a question." I said, "Do y'all?" promote or encourage the victims to forgive their perpetrators. And I said, well, we don't really do that. We just stand by whatever the victim wants to feel. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, man, that could almost perpetuate unforgiveness to, to a certain degree. And, and I gave him a story. I said, I said, the reason I'm asking this is because when I was in prison, we had our, a Christian prayer circle every day at work. And these were, these were Christians coming. And I said, and this is what I love about your program because this is kind of what happened is kind of what your program does. And so this guy, Mike, who's a Christian, he kind of suffered from some depression, uh, probably from the, because of the crime. He, he got drunk and, uh, wrecked into this mom and, uh, her little 12 year old daughter and killed the daughter. And so that's why he was in prison. And so I know he suffered a lot of anxiety, depression, things because of that he would come to the prayer circle and he would have a frown on his face, you know, not a frown, but just one of those non-smiling faces, you know, uh, like he was just going through the motions. But one day he came with this big smile on his face. I mean, just noticeably. So we're, we're like, Mike, do you have a praise report or something you want to talk about? We've never seen you smile this big. And he goes, yeah, I got a letter today from my victim's mother. Mm-hmm. And he started crying and he said, she sent me a Bible and she said she forgives me. And he just started bawling. He was never the same after that. His depression went away. His anxiety went away. That was the catalyst he needed because he said she described a lot of what she was going through from the loss. So he was able to understand the impact he had on her life because of what he did. And still, even after he heard all that from her, she said, I forgive you. And that's kind of what that's what bridges to life does. Our whole, I feel yeah, our whole process really leads to that. In fact, week ten is forgiveness, wow. and what the participant in prison has to do is they have to uh, write and then read a letter to their small group, uh, a letter to their victim. Now they don't mail it because of restraining right. order, but there's something about writing down on a piece of paper that's like a confession. And then when they read it in that small group, they're affirming that they're admitting that they did the crime and they're asking for forgiveness. They also write a letter to a member of their family who's been harmed by their incarceration. And when when, when somebody reads a letter to a group either granting forgiveness 
or asking for forgiveness, it's very healing. It's very releasing, just like what you described. But it, it's interesting. The, the offender gets empathy for the victim, but the victim gets empathy for the offender based on whatever their life story is. Because through the program, we actually, every inmate in that small group shares their story about how they grew up, what their life was like, uh, what their family was like, and how they ended up in prison. And, and when you're a victim of a crime and you hear some of the stories we've heard, it's not a shock that right. some folks ended up in prison. Right. And so even on the victim side, you get the perspective of the offender side. And that's where, that's how they can feel empathy for them is because now they're hearing the, the, the triggers. They're hearing the, that the may, maybe they were abused uh, as a child. Right. Maybe they were in foster care. Maybe they, you know, all that stuff. And then if you're a victim, you can go, you can, and you can empathize without condoning the crime. You know, you can say, I, I get it. I get how you ended up to that point where that night happened with you committing this crime against me or my family. And, um, but that, like, like you said, that, that, that's, that's leaps and bounds into where they are in, in forgiveness. And if somebody doesn't know how to forgive or resist forgiveness up until that point, man, they got to almost, I mean, that it's almost like it's, it's really cool, man. So tell us more about bridges to life where, where, how many units are y'all in? Uh, are you, are you more than just Texas? What do you have? Is it all in person? What, who can sign up all that? So we, uh, started in Texas. We're now in every applicable Texas prison, about 89 wow. of them. Uh, there's some units like hospitals that we're not in gotcha. uh, because they're not there that long. Um, but any Texas prison, we, we have our program. We're in 16 states, seven countries. Uh, so we really are a global restorative justice program. Wow. What countries, other countries are you in? We are in uh, Mexico. Okay. We are in uh, Uganda. Wow. We are in um, South Africa. We, we've also been in Australia and India and Thailand. And so we, we, it's, it's pretty interesting to see how one man, our founder, yeah. who is a crime victim, his sister was murdered, and he started this program because he, he had actually uh, participated in a, another group where victims of, and offenders met. And he's like, this is life-changing. So he started it in one Texas prison. We, we now are in all Texas prisons. Which prison was that he started in? It was remember? down in the uh, Houston area. I'm trying to remember the name of the unit. Uh, it's right right around the Houston area, gotcha. but but he quickly, you know, over the over these twenty plus yeah. years, we now are in every Texas prison. But we have three types of programs. We have okay. our our volunteer led program, okay. which is where we bring volunteers and crime victims in for the fourteen weeks. We usually meet in the evening for about two hours, where uh, we'll have two volunteers in a small group with ten inmates. We also have a self-study program, which okay. started because of COVID. All right. So what we did is we put our uh, victim stories on a DVD. This this sounds bad, but it was like almost like a drug deal. You met the chaplain <laughs> in the parking lot. I, yeah, and the exactly. chaplain took our materials, our Restoring Peace book and our study guide, with the DVD into the prisons because we mm. couldn't get in. Yeah. And the inmates took the program on their own. Wow. And then at the end of the 14 weeks, we met the chaplain in the parking lot. He gave us the completed study guides, and our volunteers would read the homework to see if they completed all the graduation wow. requirements. And I, I sat in a room with volunteers reading the stories of life change 
through the 14-week answers. And so even the self-study, we always say it's the power of God, it's the power of our program. The curriculum has really got some power in it. We also have a third type where uh, in Texas, uh, inmates can get a seminary degree, okay. and they're called field ministers. Right. And then the, the prison system sends those field ministers out to all these remote pr- uh, prisons yeah. as a, an arm of the chaplaincy. And so what we've done is the field minister will take our program. They will then participate as a facilitator, peer-to-peer, yeah. 10 inmates with two field minister inmates. And here's the crazy part. We, we knew the program was powerful yeah. because of all of our results, but we recently got recidivism data, which is the return to prison within three years. And whether it was the volunteer-led version with outside volunteers or led by the field ministers, the recidivism results were exactly the same. Wow. So there's power so it's, when you're meeting it's in more these the small program groups. instead yes. of who's running the yeah. Exactly. That's so good. So what is the recidivism rate? Uh, the recidivism rate is 14%. That is about our eight year average. We get results every year from the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. And uh, the really good news is. 14% is pretty miraculous. You yeah. know, a lot of states are 30 to 50% uh, return rate recidivism, but ours is 14%, which means 86% of our graduates do not come back to prison within three years. Now, we recently had a, a, another study of just our releasees in 2018, and for that three-year period, which just ended, uh, the end of 2021, it was at 10 percent but more importantly the return for violent crime was 1.9 percent so So we really are helping prevent future crime uh through our program so good so good i uh might have to see where y'all are in uganda i have a friend who's uh who is a missionary over there and what he does is he he helps pastors and churches all over all over this one area. I can't remember the village he's in, but he, his ministry goes and does two or three things that will help other churches and other leaders in their congregation. They may not have anybody to help lead certain areas. Uh, and one of them is, um, I asked him, he goes, I want you to come over to Uganda with me. I said, well, I can't come unless I get to go to the prisons. Right. And, and, and he, so he said, JDN, he, in, in his Ugandan accent, uh, he goes, JDN, the last time I was there, because he goes and stays like two months at a time, then comes back here two months and goes back there. And he said, I was really praying so hard the last time I was there for me to get a connection to the chaplaincy that's over all the prisons in, in that area. He said, and the last day I was there, I was, I, was, I was leaving the last day, he said, he said, and then I got to meet the, the head chaplain for all of the prisons in that, in that area that day. He said, so, uh, so, you know, he wants you to come too. So I, I, I don't know if that's an area where where Bridges to Life is, but I would like to find out more about the Ugandan version of Bridges to Life and see where y'all are at. And um, you know, I, I know I need to I need to volunteer for Bridges to Life. I mean, I got I'm spread so thin, but you know, I also know that that uh, I love going back in. You know, I don't know what the commitment is, but uh, I'm sure you'll 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 tell us because we because I want to know. You know, we got guys listening to this on tablets in prisons and jails all across the nation, probably some that have, you know, bridges to life there at their unit. But we also have people out here that want to get involved and somehow, 
you know, maybe not come in and preach like I do, but maybe come involved, get involved in a program. Uh, and so, you know, whether they actually were involved, you know, a victim of a crime or just somebody that wants to help. Well, we, and great, great comment. We have three types of volunteers. We have victims that will come in and share their story for the 14 weeks, but many of the victims actually participate in all 14 weeks. They sit in a small group. Okay. Uh, we also have uh, folks that have served their time. They're ex-offenders. They're outside doing well, and they want to come back in. And, and what I've noticed is when an ex-offender actually takes the time and effort to go back into the unit and sit with men in a small group when they've actually been in their position, they tend to listen to every word you say. The third type are just people from churches or colleges. Yeah. They just want to help. They don't have a crime story or an offender so, story. So you they have just a, want to help. So you have a spot for them even though yes. even though they they may think I'm not a criminal and I'm not a victim. But you have a spot for me. Absolutely. So what does that spot look like? So the two of the volunteers are uh, outside. The other 10 folks are inside okay. uh, participants. And so those two volunteers, one may be a victim, one may be an ex-offender, or one may just be somebody that wants to help. The, the program is not about us preaching or trying to convert somebody. It's about us listening. In fact, the word we call them facilitators. Facilitate means make easy right all we're trying to do is to get those 10 inmates to talk our role as volunteer facilitators is to, to create an atmosphere create an atmosphere of trust that makes it easy and for confidential to confidentiality to make where there's a group discussion gotcha. and and that's where the power is okay is there any is there any um limits on volunteers coming in from the outside the, anybody can volunteer with us. You have to be 18 years or above. So we have folks that are 18. We have folks that are 80. And men and women can volunteer, whether it's a men's prison or a women's prison. There's no restriction on that. In fact, that makes it even more diverse when yeah. you've got a, a woman volunteer and a male volunteer. Uh, we, we Diversity is, is uh, makes and, for a better and that, discussion. And that's a, and that's a situation, too, where the inmate on the inside will, will perk up and listen a little more attentively to to somebody of the opposite sex that's a volunteer. Yes. And that's right. just, that's just, uh, that's just a fact. It's not a, you know, it's, sure. not a, it's not a bad thing or a good thing. It's just a fact. You know? Well, you know, one of the things we, you know, when you've got somebody that maybe is a, an older grandparent as a volunteer versus somebody that's 20 is in the middle of college in a criminal justice program. When you put those two different perspectives, yeah. it makes for a better discussion. Absolutely. So what if I can't commit to 14 weeks? So if you're a volunteer, that's that's volunteer. one of the reasons that we put two volunteers per small group because okay. life happens. Okay. Maybe you can't be there every week, but we really are looking for folks that will commit to try to be there as much. So the as goal is to have somebody weeks. that can commit. Now, is it is it uh, a certain day of a week, or is it different with every unit? Is it? It's different by every unit. We usually meet either Monday through Thursday nights, okay. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, and so in the we're in the Dallas Fort Worth area is where I live. We've got 12 different locations. So we've got some units on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. They're spread out. And so for a volunteer, we typically have several opportunities based on the night of the week that might be best for you. Gotcha. And so if somebody is in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and they don't want to travel, you have opportunities at the Estes unit and the Hutchins? Hutchins, Estes, Bridgeport, Lindsay unit, Bonham has two okay. units there. We're also in the Salvation Army Adult Rehab Centers. Okay. We have an addiction program and a crime program. Crime gotcha. program is in prisons. 
but it's the same principles, accountability, responsibility, yeah, yeah, yeah. that pertain to addiction. And so we were in the all the Texas Salvation Army rehab centers. Okay. Now let's do a background check on you. Why in the heck did you get involved with Bridges to Life? How did you get involved with it? You know, and uh, tell us a little bit about that story and how all that led up to it. So it started with my home life. You know, I, I grew up uh, very sheltered with uh, parents that were leaders in a church. My dad was a worship leader. It used to be called Minister of Music at a, at a Baptist church in San Antonio. My mom yep. was the pianist, the piano player. Wow, sounds so, like my childhood. So I, I grew up, I thought, very lucky in a Christian home with good parents. And I've got two younger brothers. And um, everything changed about when I was in junior high school. My parents got divorced. Mm. I didn't know what a divorce was because nobody in my family was divorced. All my grandparents were together. And so for the next year, our family split apart. And we got bounced between my mom's house and my dad's house. And about a year later, um, we were supposed to be with my mom on a weekend. My dad was going out of town. And over that weekend, uh, we ended up staying with some friends instead, very last minute. And my mom was um, approached by two men, and uh, they robbed her. They stole her purse. They took her jewelry. Um, they then raped my mom in the back seat mm. of her car. And then one of them took a gun and shot my mom in the face three times. They, they left my mom without her clothes on on the back seat floorboard of her car. And when you're 12 years old and your mom is murdered and found like that, there's a fear that attaches to, to yourself and my yeah. brothers. We couldn't understand why would anybody want to hurt my mom and are they going to come kill us? And I remember my dad came back to town and we just held on to him. Uh, about a year later, my dad was arrested for hiring two men to murder my mom for life insurance mm -hmm. money. And he was a minister. Ministers don't do that. And uh, we, we stood by him. It was a circumstantial case, basically, uh, when a lot of ways folks avoid responsibility is they uh, deny it and blame somebody else. Both men blamed each other and said they didn't do it. But one of the men said he overheard my dad hiring him. Uh, my dad goes to trial. He was charged with a capital murder, criminal solicitation. The jury uh, found him guilty, and they sent him to be executed at the Ellis Unit in Huntsville to death row. Hmm. So my dad sat on death row uh, from the time I was in high school through college, and then he got a new trial. Um, and this whole time, y'all were maintaining his innocence. Oh yes, him? Okay. absolutely. We were he was part, maintaining his innocence. Well, you know, in in prison, you know, it's um, it's about keeping connection to your family. So we would visit him. We would put money on his books, on his account, so we could buy stuff. We wrote letters. We, we, we had a relationship with our dad, even though he was in prison. Uh, but he got a new trial because it turned out the prosecutor, prosecutor had altered evidence. Hmm. And a lady came forward that proved that. And so he gets off death row, goes back to the county jail in San Antonio to wait a second capital murder trial. And three or four years later, now I'm 26 years old, my wife and I and my brothers and we're all there for the trial, and uh, he is found guilty of a lesser sentence of uh, murder, not capital murder, and given life in prison, but the pro board was going to release him. 
And so after the trial... Because he'd already been locked up how many years at that point? Oh, my God. Uh, 13 years. Okay. Um, mainly on death row. So the, so they were kind of just going to give him time served. Time of. served and also because of the prosecutor, uh, that mis- there was prosecutorial yeah. misconduct. Right. And he had been a model citizen. You know, he, he was um, a good guy in yeah. prison. Didn't yeah. get in fights or any troubles or anything like that. And so he, he's about to be released within three days. The trial is over with. And I, I always describe this. We were so excited that my dad was found guilty of murder hmm. because he wasn't going to be executed. I didn't want to, I already lost my mom to murder. I didn't want to lose my dad to an execution. I didn't want him to go through that. But your focus as a family member of an offender is how do you get that family member out? And our whole focus was how to get him home. So here he'd been found guilty, which we didn't care because he meant he was coming home on parole. And I'm sitting there with my wife and my dad's attorney and I had some questions about the second trial. And during that time of talking, and we're, we're making plans, he's ready to come out of prison. And, but he, I asked a question and he said something. He said, Jim, I did it and she deserved it. And it shocked me because I, I immediately I felt betrayal and anger. I couldn't believe I had testified for him. And now he's blaming it on my mom. He, he thought he was the victim because he was in jail. And I said, no, no, Dad, you're, you're not the victim. My mom, who you killed, is the victim. And so I protested his parole. Yeah, because he had already made parole, right? You yes. said they were going to so let him go. Went so went back to the back. back to the parole board. What did they say to y'all? Did they, they say, like, why are you... Yes, great question. So he said, we've already granted parole. You you were just here. And I said, things have changed. My dad has confessed. In fact, we actually went on the local news media and said, please write a protest letter. Wow. My mom's side of the family, my dad's side of the family, all of us protested, his own parents. So now, because of his confession... He'd already been tried twice. He'd already for this. been convicted, so, so that he, didn't matter. They couldn't do anything. Right. They couldn't change it back to the death penalty. But they could revote, and they revoted and said parole denied. And I remember going back to my see my dad, and I said, "You will never see me again." So you were I, mad. You I were, was very were... mad, very mad. He, he, again, he confessed, which was a lot of betrayal, but he blamed it on my mom. Mm. And so I so had there was no true contrition there. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Okay. And so I didn't see him. So for three years, we all turned our backs on him, had nothing to do with him. And and one of the things I noticed is uh, I have the same name as my dad. I'm James yeah. Buffington Jr. I look like my dad. I sound like my dad. I'm a lot like him. And I hated it. Hmm. And after my son was born, I... I so was your son born during that three years that you yes, weren't? Yes, okay. he was. He was born about a year after my dad went back. I'll to talk prison. about that because I mean, you know, you, you you want your you want your you want the grandparent to be involved. Yes, you know, and somehow, but you know that there was no way at that point. There's no way that you were he was going to be involved. So, what, what were your emotions then? Well, and it was I was really struggling because my dad. We had found out during that second trial. He not only hired two men to kill my mom, he hired them to kill me and my brother Oscar and my brother Lewis. Who, who kills a 12-year-old, yeah. a 10-year-old, and a 9-year-old? Now, now talk about how you, how you heard, how you found that out, because that was way after the fact. Well, so we, we, we found out during the trial 
that my dad, the, you know, the prosecutor, uh, he had a bunch of life insurance on us. Well, who, who has term life insurance on three little boys? But I still, my dad said he didn't do it, and I was holding on to that and circumstances. So I, I just put it in the back of my mind. He didn't do this, but the prosecutors alleged that. And, and so when my son was born, I'm thinking, could I really kill my kid? Mm. And, and I'm just like my dad. So I, I went back to see him. And, and um, in fact, my, my, my wife had a rule. Um, your dad is not going to get to see his grandson. Wow. Because, because of him, Bryce, our son, never got to meet his grandmother. And so a consequence is he doesn't get to meet his grandson. And so I went back to see him to understand how did he go from a happily married guy with an attractive wife, leader in a church, three good boys, he had a side construction business. How do you go from that to a killer? And not only a killer of his wife, but his three kids. Mm. And so I started going to see him. And the first thing he said to me was, Jim, I'm sorry for what I did to you and your mom and your brothers. And he was one of those guys, and I talk about this a lot in prison because I'm like this. He always had the attitude that he was always right. And so a lot of men struggle with that. Yeah. And so if you have that attitude, you never apologize. Yep. So what I learned is when he said he was sorry, it causes healing. And I want to know part of that. But what he told me is during that three years, when everybody turned his back, turned their backs on him, he finally hit rock bottom in prison. He lost his parents. He lost his kids. He lost all of his friends. And he said that he finally asked God in his life and had changed. Well, I wouldn't believe, look, I, I, you know, now I'm in prison all the time and I'm, I didn't believe it. I, I thought he was one of those fakers, you know, yeah. but through the process of the next 12 months, I actually went through a forgiveness process myself of, of not letting my dad off the hook, but letting me off the yeah. hook. Because what I found through forgiveness, if you don't forgive the person that's harmed you, you become bitter, angry, and depressed. And I didn't want my dad to control me. And so I forgave him to let me off the hook. But here's what happened. About a year later, he died in prison. And when you die in prison, you either get buried on the prison grounds or you can claim the body like normal people and have yeah. a normal funeral. Right. So we had a normal funeral in San Antonio, where we were from. And the warden and the chaplain were at my dad's funeral. That's crazy. Well, inmate, they, they don't do that. Wardens don't go to <laughs> inmates' funerals. And so I knew something was up, but here's what happened. This happened in 94, and he, the, the warden said, Jim, this has never happened in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, but we're going to have a memorial service for your dad at the Ellis Unit, and you and your family are invited to attend. Wow. So the next week, we went to the Ellis Unit in Huntsville. Okay, no, wait, let's wait. So in that year, that year long, you, you talked about, you know, you were, you forgave him. And, and I mean, where is everybody at during that time? Is, is your wife back on board with anything? Is your, are your brothers like wanting to go see him? You know, did you get on the phone and call them after that first day of prison and say, Hey, dad asked for forgiveness. He's a new man. How did the whole family thing play out at that point? And then we'll get back to the memorial sure. service. So I kept telling my brothers and my wife, uh, my wife, Marilyn, that my dad, he's changed. And, and nobody believed it. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, because he was manipulative. Right. You know, he, he, but I could see a change. Just, just how he talked. And, and so my brothers didn't want to see him. They never did see him because he died a year later okay. of a brain aneurysm. But my wife, right before, she said, go ahead and put me on the visitor's list. I'll go with you. But then he passed away. Hmm. So I was the only one out of my entire family to actually witness the change that he had changed. Yeah. So everybody else was still mad, and they should be, right? I mean, right. He, yeah. he had my mom raped, murdered. They thought and, you were crazy, probably. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. But I, I can see he changed. And here's what happened. When we went into that chapel at the Ellis Unit, which looks like a normal church, except right. it's full of inmates. It was full of 300 men in white prison uniforms. And the first thing we found out is that my dad had a job. We didn't know inmates had a job. Well, he had become, and there's a there's a, a scripture how God can restore you. His job was he was the minister of music in the Ellis unit, mm-hmm. and he worked for the chaplain. He was the chaplain's assistant. Yeah. He was an SSI, they call right. it. And we got to hear how my dad started a men's choir in prison. So the beginning of the service were these men singing these Christian songs, and we're like, okay. But here's what happened, and it really gave proof to my brothers and our wives that my dad had changed. For three hours, one by one, an inmate would walk up to the microphone, they'd look us straight in the face, and they said, I became a Christian because your dad told me a story and it changed my life. And, and what we learned is, well, first of all, when you hear one man say it, okay, when you hear 300 mm. men say the same thing, I became a Christian because your dad shared his faith with me. They said, your dad would say, you know what? I made all these bad choices. I'm now in prison. I, I'm serving a life sentence. But I've asked God for forgiveness. I've taken responsibility and accountability, and I'm going in a new direction. Well, at the end of it, in fact, my brother Oscar said he finally forgave my dad at that service wow. because he had seen proof that my dad had changed. And that's what a lot of people are looking for. They want to forgive somebody, but they're looking for proof that the person is remorseful and that they've changed. And, and it's a lot easier to forgive somebody when, when, when you see the change. Yeah. Well, right after that, I got invited to speak in churches and I shared the story and and that led me to Texas Victim Services, which okay. uh, TDCJ has victims come into prison and they share their story of their victim impact. And then um, I, I thought I was doing such a great job. You know, I walk into prison, make everybody feel really bad, and then I leave, <laughs> right? I, I thought, well, what a, what a Joe Christian I am. But then I met a lady named Connie Hilton who's on staff with us at Bridges to Life. And she invited me to a Bridges to Life graduation at the Hutchins unit here in South Dallas. And I walked into that unit and I sat down and the graduation ceremony is basically all the inmates that graduated walk up to a microphone and they get to share how, uh, how they changed, mm. what, what they learned yeah. and anything. And it looked just like my dad's memorial service. And I said, sign me up. So I started, that's what brought me to Bridges to Life. Yeah is I started volunteering in 2004. Wow. And then, what's that, 12 years later, you, be, you became, you got on staff, 2016? 2016. So 14 years later, um, our, our founder and CEO, John Sage, 
He is 74, but he's a young 74. He thinks he wants to retire at some point. So <laughs> I'm his retirement plan. So I came on board as the chief operating officer and, and just got to take over this great organization. And, and we've got staff all over the state of Texas. There's 19 of us. And then all of our other states and countries are run by volunteers. We've had 3,200 volunteers across the globe. Wow. And just in fact, last week, we just had our 65,000th graduate from Bridges to Life. My goodness. My goodness. Wow. And I, I know I was locked up um, uh, with one of my guys who was in my wedding, Reggie McCoy. He, he was at the Lockhart unit. A lot longer than I was, and he actually got to take that Bridges to Life. And I remember texting him one day. Um, he was trying to get a hold of me. I said, "I'm here, you know, on stage at this place, Bishop Art Theater." And and um, and I told him who all I was with, and he's like, "Oh," he goes, "Well, we'll um, tell the Bridges to Life guy that that uh, their their program changed my life." And so uh, so that was cool. I mean, I know firsthand from from a personal friend. How imp- how impactful the program is, and uh, so so now you have a uh, there's a documentary uh, about y'all's story, and I've watched it and it's amazing, and uh, so tell people how they can how they how they can watch that. Sure. So we we it actually started with a group called Shalom World, which is a uh, Catholic Christian ministry, and they did a feature on John Sage, our founder, and Bridges to Life. So that came out first on Shalom World called Into the Light. And it really talks about the program. And a lot of our staff are featured. I was featured. Joel Lightfoot, our outreach manager who runs out of state, out of country. Charles Fisher, he's our first graduate that's on staff with us. Uh, Another staff person, uh, Dolores in, in Houston. And so it really did a great story of capturing the Bridges to Life story. Yeah. Well, through that filming, um, the producer asked how I got to Bridges to Life, just like you did. And they said, can we come back and do a story on you and your brothers? And my brothers have never participated in any kind of media interview. They've not talked about this. I get to share my story all the time, but that's not the path they chose, even though they both have forgiven my dad. So Shalom reached back out to us, and uh, it was released on Good Friday. And it's, it's basically how we forgave our mother's murderer and it was released on good friday it's about a 30 minute video it's on our website um and it's it features my brother and i really about our story of faith and our story of forgiveness and it was the first time the the three buffington boys yeah got to share our story man it's it's so good um what i guess i guess some of the questions i have is like you know, you had Bryce, you know, and, and your other brothers had kids. Yes. You know what your dad was. You know he changed. Which part of the story or how do you, how do you, how did you, you know, Bryce is older now. You're, you're going to be a grandpa. But how did you slowly tell the story of their grandpa, you know? Very age appropriate. Yeah. You know, at first uh, it was... You know, my, my wife's parents were awesome. And, and so my, my son, Bryce, knew, well, he had grandparents on his mom's side, but not on his dad's side. And so, you know, we, we just explained that my parents were dead. And then we basically explained that uh, my mom was killed and then my dad was responsible. So it was very age-appropriate. Right. 
But I, I remember in college, I was speaking at a juvenile facility and, uh, when, when Bryce was in college, okay. and, and he was home on a break. And he said, Dad, I'll, I'll go with you. And we're speaking to a group of juveniles in, in a Fort Worth juvenile detention center. And uh, at the end, the juveniles get to ask questions. And here I am. I've just shared my story. Bryce is sitting in the back of the room, and he, the juveniles turn around, and they start asking Bryce questions. Mm. Wow. And they said, well, Bryce, have you forgiven your grandfather? And, and Bryce never met yeah. my dad. And he said, no, I hate my grandfather. He said, I can't believe the pain hmm. he caused my dad. And, and I, I'm sitting there shocked. Yeah. I'm like, how in the world Who did my dad impact my son? And now he's got to go through a forgiveness process. So my son did. And well, you had no idea. No that he, idea. He had that inside no him. No idea. Okay. And so, so then several years later, Bryce is 32. When he was about 25 or 26, he said, Dad, I, I want to volunteer with you in prison at the Hutchins unit. And, of course, my wife, she's like, I have spent my entire life keeping him out of prison, and now you want to drag him in there. And I'm like, no, he's a man. He, adult, he, he volunteered on his own. So on Monday nights, uh, my, my son Bryce and I get to go into the Hutchins unit, mm. and here's one of the things he noticed. You know, th there's folks in prison that are 18. To, oh, to, yeah. you know, and, and he started talking to a lot of the folks between 18 and 30. And one of the first things my son said, just a few weeks in, he said, Dad, these inmates, the, these are guys I would hang out with. Yeah. And what most people don't realize is not everybody in prison is a murderer like my dad. They're there for drug possession and other charges. But there's, they're people's sons and brothers and their dads, and, and they just made some bad choices. And, and that's what our program gets to do is to help them through that process of learning why they made those choices and, and and help take them down the bridge to healing and forgiveness and restore peace in their lives. Yeah. And so now my son and I get to do that. Let me ask you this. Um, so, I mean, you know, you keep up with the news. Uh, people get exonerated all the time. Mm -hmm. So we know there's a certain percentage, small but certain percentage, of people who are innocent in prison. And some maintain their innocence and get... Uh, either have a lots of money to, to prove that, or they uh, get the catch the eye of an innocence project and get help that way. Other people that don't have the money or catch the eye, then they, they just sit in there all these years with bridges to life. Has there, what do you do with, cause part of your program is acknowledgement of a crime. Mm -hmm. What if somebody who is innocent maintains their innocent and truly is, we just don't know it at that point wants to be in the program, but doesn't acknowledge it because he believes he's innocent. How do y'all deal with that? So great question. Very rarely happens. Yeah. What, what I have figured out is most people in prison did a crime or another crime or that crime. Uh, but I do believe, and I've seen it, we, we, you and I have a mutual yeah. friend that was exonerated. He wasn't, he wasn't guilty. What, what I learned, I really compare it to our volunteers that, uh, don't have a crime story or anything. The program, there are things that I need to learn yeah. about accountability and responsibility and forgiveness and repentance. It doesn't have to be about crime. Yeah. And, and many times, just because they're incarcerated, 
whether they're guilty or innocent, there may have been some choices that led to them being yeah. incarcerated, and somebody's affected their family member. I, and right? I think I think Richard Miles was probably yeah. an anomaly because he truly was uh, coming home from I think Bible study yes. that night. Yes, he no. truly wasn't involved in any, but most exonerees were committing some sort of other little crime, misdemeanor, or hanging around the wrong people, right. or whatever, and then that ended up leading to them being in the wrong position at the wrong yes. place at the wrong time. So, um, so I, and I would, I mean, do people that maintain their innocence even want to be in the program? Sure. So, so the the good news is that you can still take our program. Yeah. But if you want to graduate from the program, then um, you know there is a requirement right. that you admit your crime. Well, if you don't admit your crime, you can still participate. Gotcha. You just won't graduate from yeah. the program. Gotcha. All right. Well, good. Cool. Um, so tell people how they can be involved. Uh, people out here, uh, not in prison, mm-hmm. uh, those guys, most of them know how they can get involved. But out here, somebody that hears this story and and maybe maybe they're a victim, maybe, maybe they just want to be involved somehow. Tell them what's the process, and we'll have the website. So if that's the thing, we'll you don't have to say the website, but just tell them that that's where they need to go. We'll have that on the show notes, and they'll be able to connect in every way. But just tell them what the process would be if they're interested. Great. So if you're on the inside, an inmate, you just sign up to take the program. I completely voluntary, and I sixty give it to the chaplain, and we'll get you signed up. Anybody can take the program, completely Perfect. voluntary. But if you're an outside prison person, and you want to volunteer. Uh, you can reach on our website, and we have staff all over the te- state of Texas. So if you're in Houston, you'll click and see the Houston person. Reach out to that person. There's two things you have to do. You have to fill out a Texas Department of Criminal Justice application. Volunteer application. Volunteer application. Is there a link there, to that on your site? There's a link on our site. There's uh, a link to the actual uh, training. It's just really kind of common sense things you should do and not do right. when you go inside of prison. Also, we'll also um, do a Bridges to Life volunteer facilitator training. Okay. We usually do those in January and, and July and, and basically explain how to be a good group facilit- discussion facilitator. So you'll take TDCJ training online, again, through our website, and then we will give you a live uh, training session on how to be a good facilitator. And then you start joining us. And so we go from February to May and then we graduate and then we start a new group August through November. And so if you right now go take the training, you'll be ready to join us in August. And it's the same times every year. Yes. Same times. And, uh, we usually meet in the evening for about two hours for 14 weeks. Okay. And, uh, what is, do we have the ability, if I'm a volunteer, do I have the ability to choose what unit I want to go to? Absolutely. So in the Dallas area, for example, we've got 12 different locations. So what they're, they're all over the Metroplex. So you just pick what Gate, location. Gatesville? Do you have them in Gatesville? Or we're, we're in, no, we're in all. We're no, but in I, mean, all, I mean, for somebody that's in Dallas-Fort Worth, sure. is that, that Any, something? We've either? got folks that drive down to Palestine, Tennessee Colony, the Cofield unit. We've got folks that do the women's unit down uh, west of Waco in, in yeah. Gatesville. But we've got plenty. We've got men and women's units in the DFW area. But any part of Texas, just look on our website, and you'll see a staff member for your particular region, and we can connect you and get you involved. Knowing how this is all played out, I ask this a lot 
of, of my guests, but I, I've never had to ask with a story like yours. Mm. But knowing how many lives your dad has impacted, how many lives your story's impacted, oh, man, if you could go back and change anything, would you? Well, absolutely. <laughs> I, I wish my mom was here. Yeah. You know, I, I wish my dad was here. Um, I, I'm about to be a grandfather on Monday. My son and his wife are expecting our first grandchild. And, and, and what's and, his name going to be? And, and one of the things I used to, I used to kid with uh, Bryce and Caitlin is, well, you can name him James Glenn Buffington III. You know, me, my, my dad, me. And, and they're like, no. You know, who would, who would name your, your kid after a sociopath, right? That's who he used to be. And uh, we met him for lunch recently, and they said, hey, we've got the name. Do you want to hear it? And I said, yeah. And I, he said, it's going to be Palmer James. And I said, oh, that's funny. you know. <laughs> and he's like, dad, no, seriously. And, and I said, you're going to name him James? Are you and he said, well, well first of all, uh, it's a middle name. And, but yeah, your, your dad was redeemed. And, and so the name James has been redeemed. People can change. And so I am thrilled to death that my grandson is going to be named after me and my dad, James. But but what it, what I what I really focus on is I get to honor my parents. Yeah. So when I go into prison, I get to honor my mom Cherie. You know, she brought me to faith at an early age. In fact, she knew somebody was trying to kill her, just didn't know it was my dad. Yeah. So she already had a funeral written out, mm. and she wanted one song sung at her funeral, and it was called "I'll Tell the World That I'm a Christian." And so I get to honor her that we're to tell our story and, and that it is about forgiveness. But I get to honor my dad, James, because he changed. I yeah. believe people in prison can change. Yeah. And, and I saw it with my dad. And so I am thankful that I think God took a horrible situation, you know, losing my mom and losing my dad, but he turned it to his good. Romans 8, and we, we all have a story. And it's a really about telling our stories. And that's what we do through Bridges to Life. And it leads to healing. It many times leads to forgiveness. And it leads to, to hope and to life change. And so I'm honored that I get to share our story and that God used it for his good. So knowing that Father's Day is, is right around the corner, how do you tell people? You know, and I, mean, I mean, you know your journey. I know your journey. It's one full of strength. Um, but how do you, what do you say to that inmate? What do you say to this person out here? What do you say to that person that, you know, that their, their dad offended them in some way? And whether it's the way you, your dad offended you or whether it's just, you know, some other way. But, but Father's Day is about honoring dad. And so what do you, what, how do you help people that, have a hard time honoring their dad and help us out. So one of the things that really changed my life and changed my son's life is I met with the shooter. His name is Charles. He shot my mom in the face three mm. times and he's still in prison. He's serving a life sentence. And I met him through a victim offender mediation program where Texas gives you a mediator, kind of a counselor. He met with Charles. He met with me. And then he said, okay, you guys should meet. So he was back at the Styles unit at the time. And so I show up at the Styles unit in Beaumont, and we have eight hours in a room 
and it's me and Charles across from each other at a like a cardboard table, and we've got the mediator between us, and they've got a prison guard in the room. And I, I go to meet Charles, and he answered a lot of my questions. But at one point, when he was explaining to me, because I and my brother were supposed to be in the car, and he's telling me that he's got a gun to my mom, and where are your boys? He asks the mom he asked, where he, he was. He asked my mom. That was the first thing when they got and in And you car. would have never known that no. had you not talked to him directly. And, and I did not them, know that. Yeah. And so he described for me what was going on in the backseat of my mom's car and how my mom was saving my life. She kept lying of where we were. Wow. And, and he's describing the process of what was going on in that backseat. And I'll be honest, I, I'm looking at him. He's an old man. He's in his 70s. And, you know, it compared to myself, I'm a very healthy 58 year old, but, but, uh, and this was several years ago, but I I literally, here, here was my plan. I was going to lean over and I was going to grab this old man by the throat and I was going to kill him. Mm. And here's what's going through my mind. It seemed logical, rational. I'm going to kill him because the mediator wasn't looking. The guard wasn't looking by the time they got me off of him. He would be dead. Hmm. And here's what I'm thinking. I can get by with this. Who's going to put me in jail for what he was telling me, what he was doing yeah. to my mom in the yeah. back? I said, I'll take that risk. And, and all of a sudden, I stood up. I made a choice. I walked down the hall. I got really angry in the restroom. And, and I came back, and I sat down with Charles, and I confessed. And I said, Charles, I'm sorry. I wanted to kill you. Hmm. And I had to go through a forgiveness process with Charles. And, but when I got home, I'm, I got waiting on me were my two brothers and my son Bryce. He was 17. That's when this happened. He's 26. No, excuse me. He's 32 now. And, and, and I shared with my brothers that I almost killed Charles, which nobody would have. I'll be honest. Most of my friends said you should have killed Charles. Hmm. But Bryce, 17 years old, my son, heading off to college, says, Dad, you should have done it, and you could have gotten by with it. And here's all I know. My wife, Marilyn, raised an awesome son. But I changed my son's life that day. Mm. Because if I had killed Charles, here Bryce is, heading off to college. If his grandfather was a killer, and now his father was a killer... How much easier was is it going to be for Bryce to make the same bad yeah. decision yeah. that I made and my and his grandfather made? And what I learned is you can change a generational curse by the impact of your choices. And all I know is I changed my son's life that day. And so I get to celebrate uh, being a dad and 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 leading Bryce into a new direction, one that my father didn't take you know he did at the end but but i think i think fathers can change their kids it doesn't matter how they are they have an impact and so now we've changed the father's day curse from me to my dad to my son and now my grandson because of the choice i made and i tell inmates all the time tell tell your kids i don't care if you're in prison Tell them three things. I do this to my son all the time. Bryce, I love you. Bryce, I'm proud of you. 
Bryce, I'm so glad you're my son. It keeps a connection for men in prison with their kids by your word. I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm glad you're mine. And, and, you know, my, my, not too long ago, I had a 50th surprise party and my son gets up to give a speech and he said, dad, I love you. I'm proud of you. And I'm so glad you're my dad. And, and all I know is fathers can make a difference by the choices they make that will impact their kids. Mm. Jim, that is so good. That is so good. Well, thank you, Jim. Um, I mean, you already kind of gave a message to the inmates, and that's typically the last thing I ask is to speak speak life into the people that are all over the nation listening to this in jails and prisons, um, and and even if they're listening to it in their in a mental prison out here. And so you kind of already you kind of already you gave, you gave them that message, and I appreciate that. Um, thank you. The everybody needs to go watch the documentary, and. And now, if you listen to a story and watch the documentary, you get, you get all of it. You get all of it. Um, but thank you so much, Jim, for being bold all these years. I mean, you have gone through so much, so many ups and downs in your emotions, even even when you face Charles. Mm-hmm. Yes. To face him and then to learn new, learn new, uh, whatever you want to call it, evidence or new new parts of the story that you you were a target too. Right. Forgiveness. And it, yeah, there's, there's 70, a verse 70 times seven. You've got to keep forgiving. And then keep forgiving. we didn't say that, but that's the title I think of your documentary, right? 70 times seven. And you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I was sitting in class not too long ago, listening to this man talk about kingdom, you know, just kingdom. And, and he talked about, I always say God's God of another chance. I, I don't even say second chance anymore. Cause most of us blew that, that second chance a long time ago. But he talked about how God looks at our sin. And he said, do you know that there's some things that God doesn't know? And I'm like, when you first hear that, you're like, what? No, he's all knowing. He's like, no. He said, when, when you sin and you ask forgiveness, God says he, he throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. He actually chooses not to know that anymore. So there's, in that sense, he doesn't know that sin anymore. And so when I thought of that, I thought of my whole God of another chance. If he, if he, if I sin, no matter what the sin is, and I ask for forgiveness, and he throws it into the sea of forgetfulness, then every chance is like a second chance. Because all, because, because, because he wipes his slate clean, and so I've started saying God is a God of a second chance God again, and I just thought that was, I thought that was interesting because, but that's what the seventy times seventy or seven times 70 is, is that it's not about 490 times. It's just about every time is a second chance. And he's a second chance God. Absolutely. And so, man, this has been amazing. I've known you for a while. I call you friend, but today I feel like I got a little closer to you. And I thank you for sharing your story. And uh, thank you for letting us do a background check on you. Uh, again, you passed. And so, um, <laughs> You know, uh, but thanks again. And uh, we'll, we will send everybody to the website. Bridges to Life is pretty much, hey, and listen, follow Jim on social media too. Whatever social media links you want people to follow you on, I'll, uh, I'll put them on there. And, uh, and if, you, if you do follow him and message him, make sure you tell him you heard it on Background Check Podcast so he doesn't think you're a stalker. And, uh, 
But again, thanks, Jim. God bless you to, to you, your family, for, for sharing your story uh, in the way that y'all did, the documentary, and even all these years going back in and just touching the lives, um, all, the, all the lives that you know, you've touched is probably between you and your dad, the lives that y'all have impacted. There's going to be a whole, whole city block in heaven, <laughs> people that were wow. touched by you guys. So thank you for all you do. Well, and what you're going to continue to do, I'm sure, forever. So, Well, thank you, and thank you for the impact you make through Forgiven Felons. Appreciate you. And I'm sure we'll see you around. Okay, Jim. J-Dan. We ended the podcast, and you and I were just chilling. And then you began telling me about a little bit more about your son, mm-hmm. and then Joel, Joel Lightfoot, and y'all, you and Joel going into another, into prison with another ministry, Bill Glass. And that led into this most incredible story that I could not believe we were not recording. <laughs> and so yes. I, I, I said, we got we to record this. And so uh, for those of you listening to the podcast right now, this part is being recorded at a different time. Um, but I wanted, everybody needs to hear this part. And so, so Jim, tell us about when we were talking, you were just talking about how uh, you know, I think we, I think we talked about your son on the podcast and how that came full circle about him getting forgiveness and going back in and ministering with you. But the person he ministers with in Hutchins is the person we want to, we want to hear the story about. Yes. So, um, let's just talk about that weekend that you and Joel went in mm-hmm. and, uh, and how that all played out again. Sure. It was uh, early 2015. I had been a volunteer with Bridget's life for several years and, I was actually getting ready to come on staff in Bridges Life uh, at the end of 2015. I started in 2016 on okay. staff. But Joel, our outreach manager, and I were volunteering with uh, the Bill Glass Ministry for a weekend down in Huntsville. And we actually ended up uh, going to... Now what unit was that on? Uh, Ferguson. Okay, Ferguson. And we were going into Ferguson uh, with to add seg and we had to put flak jackets on because of the uh, security level that we went into. We went into B and um, we spent the day with that ministry going cell to cell to cell uh, just, you know, meeting men and and sharing the gospel and praying with them. Well, at the end of the day, we were pretty exhausted and we, uh, there's a dinner that they have for all the volunteers. And I had, gone down there with a bunch of guys from my church here in Arlington at Fielder Church, and I couldn't find them. And so Joel and I said, hey, let's, let's just sit in the side room. Nobody's in there. There's all these other thousands of people. And we just sit by ourselves, and this older gentleman walks in, and he says, hey, hey, can I sit down with you guys? And we said, sure. And Just random. Just random. Random person. Random person, cool, you know, and uh, didn't know him, and he didn't know us, and and uh, he said, where'd y'all go today? And, and so Joel and I... So um, he was just volunteering with Bill just Glass. Just volunteering. Well. He's a volunteer okay. with Bill Glass. And right. his name is Ken. And, and so he, he introduces himself. And uh, we had been talking about how Joel and I had gone to uh, the Ferguson unit. And Ken had just gotten back from the Polensky unit. That's where he had gone to death row that day to, to, to witness and share the gospel. And, and so we're sitting there. We introduce ourselves. And... And I said, hey, I'm Jim Buffington. He goes, oh, that's funny. I, I knew a guy named James Buffington. And I said, well, my dad's named James. And he goes, no, 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 that, that's not him. And, and I said, well, um, uh, he goes, this guy was from San Antonio. And I said, 
well, well, I grew up in San Antonio. No, no, no. This this guy was in prison. And I said, well, my dad was in prison. And he goes, no, no, no. And, and so he just was he, not He, he was not believing that, that we were connected. No way. Now, and had, so, what, at one point in that, did you feel like there might have been a connection? Well, because then he said, do you have two brothers named Oscar and Lewis? And I said, yes. And, and, and he looks at me and he goes, um, I, yeah, I was your dad's cellmate, wow. uh, about two years before he passed away in prison. And I said, what? And so, you know, people make things up, and, yeah. but the fact he knew my brother's he name, knew too much information, right, he did. And so he and I started talking, we're crying, you know, Joel's just looking at us like what's going on. And, oh and so Ken had served time in prison and he ended up in the same cell with my dad and he starts telling me what my dad was like and that he would get up every day. He, he worked in the chapel and all these things. So you knew, we, so you already knew the change that took place. In your yes. Dad, but now, now you're able to hear the intricate details. I'm getting proof of who my dad really was. And, and one of the things that Ken told me, he said, Jim, I, I don't know who your dad was in the seventies when, you know, when all this stuff happened and, and, um, uh, and, and I asked him, and I said, did he ever talk about my mom? And he said, Jim, I, I don't know who your dad was back then. All I know is he was a completely different man than what I met in the 90s. And one of the things your dad said, he's like, he just couldn't wrap his brain around that he, he was that man that did those awful things because he was a new person now yeah. after he became a Christian. And so Ken and I, you know, just connected and, and then, uh, he said he lived in the Dallas area and I said, so do I. And, and I, he goes, well, what are you guys here for? And I said, we're volunteering, but we also volunteer with Bridges to Life. And he said, well, how can I get connected? And so he started volunteering with us at Bridges to Life. Well, the crazy thing is, is that our son Bryce never met my dad because yeah. we didn't allow my son to meet our dad. And so what ended up happening was my son and Ken volunteer together with me at the Hutchins unit. And, and what Bryce said, he goes, you know, I, I never met my granddad. He said, but every Monday night I get to hear stories from Ken, my grandpa, Selly of, of how he changed. And so it's been very healing for our family yeah. to hear how, what really what how God provided us, my dad's cellmate, and we really got to hear that it was a true life change story. And so Ken's become a big part of our family. In fact, uh, my brothers know him. And in fact, that year we, we have a picture of of uh, him and, and you and and Bryce, right? Yeah. So we we uh, invited Ken, of course, to our son Bryce's wedding, which was in wow. 2020. And and I've got a picture of me and Ken at Bryce's wedding with a picture of my dad. And uh, so it was really like my my dad was at uh, our son's yeah. our son's yeah. wedding yeah and, and so ken's just been a big part of healing right for us and, and uh, just become a great friend it's almost like wow so god knew god knew god already knew that you and your brothers um 
we're going to live a lifetime of trying to figure out how your dad could do that. Right. What kind of right. man was your dad that he would come up with that? And it, then it seems like God's trying to spend a lifetime trying to show you yes. that he did truly change. He did. That, he did. That, yes, he once was that man that did that. But And, and i got to believe that, that you understand a different level of God's grace, mercy, and oh, love. Oh, absolutely. Now that you have the proof of how deep his change was, of how how 180 it was, how so differently he could he could make those decisions back then, but now he's making decisions that are impacting people's eternity forever. And and it's almost like God said, "Okay, I know you know, but I want to give you a little more proof." Absolutely. I want to go above and beyond uh, what's the verse say? Above and beyond anything you could think or imagine. You probably never thought or imagined that you would meet your dad's cellmate one day. No, I I will tell you, I never imagined. And here here's here's kind of how one more last story about this is. Ken and I became great friends, and we scheduled um, to go to uh, volunteer again at some point. Well, we I ended up going again to Bill Glass, and so did Ken. But I didn't know we didn't plan ahead on which right. unit. So all of a sudden we end up in this lobby of a prison and they're trying to partner everybody up. And, and I, I turned to my side and Ken is standing right next to me. <laughs> and, you know, again, one of those coincidences yeah, yeah. that God uh, winks at us. And, and so Ken and I got to go in prison together with, with that ministry. And one of the things that really just blew us away is Ken and I tell our story together inside prisons yeah. with, with uh, Bridges to Life. And it's always fun to introduce you know, after I share my story and then I introduce my dad's cellmate. Yeah. Well, this gentleman walks up to us. Uh, I think we were at the East Ham unit this time. And he runs up to us and he's like, Jim, do you remember me? I met you at Hutchins. And he said, and he brought these two men with them. Uh, he said, this is the man I've been telling you about. And uh, Jim, tell these two men about your dad's cellmate. And so I'm sharing the story of how I had met Ken well, Ken's standing right next to me, and, and we're not, I'm not telling these two guys. Anyway, and I and they're like, this is incredible, and I tell the story of Ken. I said, hey, by the way, would you all like to meet Ken? And they're like, yeah, he's right here, and blew them away, and Ken and I got the opportunity to lead those two men mm, to, to Christ wow. that day. So God, uh, God uses uh, the things that happen in our yeah. life. For his good. And, and that's the motto of our show. Don't let your background hold you back. Yes. Make it pay you back. And for somebody in your position, there's there's probably other people who could have easily just gone into depression, gone into, uh, you know, other uh, another route where their background, which they were the victim, their background, um, you know, was ca causing, they allowed it to cause them to go into depression. I've seen it before. Sure. And they stay in this victim mindset and they stay in, in, in but you, from the beginning, you know, have, have decided to allow that situation that's happened in your background. It's, mm -hmm. not, a, it's not a criminal background. Right. But your background, mm -hmm. every time you go in and minister to somebody, when, when you got to talk to those two guys and lead them to the Lord, your background is paying you back. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and Ken's as well. And Ken's, and Ken's as well. As well. Yes. We're going to have to get Ken on the show, too. Yes. And your son. We can I'm, do I'm that. Holding, I'm holding you to it right now. It's on record. <laughs> we and can we're do hearing that. you. We want to get these guys on the show as well. 
So, um, well, man, I, I don't want to hit stop. And then you tell me another very incredible story. So is there any other story that's part of your life that we forgot on the first recording that maybe, you know, you want to share now? Just, you know, the, the ongoing impact that uh, my son and I and Ken get to do with Bridges to Life today. It's just, uh, we, we've got tons of stories yeah. of watching men in prison and women in prison change. And uh, it's just an honor to be part of that. Yeah, and, and I think uh, I may have said this on the first recording, but it just goes to show you that no matter how bad of choices you made, your dad, mm-hmm. no matter how bad of a victim position that you're in, you and your brothers, God can take anything. Yes. The whole verse about I can work all things. He didn't make that go away. He didn't make it disappear. He didn't go back in time and change it where nothing happened. He just turned what happened back then, what the devil meant for bad. He right. turned it into something that is just, and it's it's one of those legacy goods. This right. is going to just go on for generation. Bryce is going to be telling his grandson about this. Yes. Right. You know, and 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 the story of, of your dad giving his heart to the Lord and, and the, you know, I, I, I talked with... Uh, Darren Wallace about that. We talked about that mm-hmm. and he's like, Oh yeah, that's very unusual. <laughs> he goes, that's memorial services for like that. That just don't happen, you right. know? And so, uh, so yeah, I appreciate you coming on and sharing once again, thank you for this other story. You got, you figure something. Well, else I, I was just going to tell you what, what, what's so, uh, what I'm so appreciative about is, is I get to honor, uh, my mom and my dad. Yeah. And, you know, even at this time of Father's Day coming up, you know, my son and myself and my brothers, we get to honor our dad on Father's Day as well as remember our mom and honor her. And and so we're just thankful for Cause that. Because there, there's some people, Jim, Christians, that don't believe that because of what your dad did and even the intentions of, mm-hmm. of, of killing his sons, that he doesn't deserve a second chance. That he, right. some people, th- some Christians don't even think he deserves to be in heaven, right? And and deserve God's grace and mercy and love. And so the fact that it's all happened the way it's happened, unfortunately back then, but fortunately, he gave right. his heart to the Lord. Yes. Everybody, you know, now, just incredible, incredible. And I want to say, I want to say thank you for, uh, for sharing all this once again, the the, the first wow. part of it, and then now this. Thank you for letting me come back out and. And uh, and get this because it, it, that's a that's a cool story. Well, thanks and for a, having it's me. It's a great God story. So, happy Father's Day to you. Thank you as to, well, and to everyone out there. Uh, you know what, Jim? I don't know. Did, did we pray at the end of the other one? I don't remember, but I'm sure we did. <laughs> well, we, usually, we get... usually I don't pray during the podcast. I pray. I pray a recorded prayer after when I'm doing my final thoughts. But why don't we do this? Why don't I want you to pray for everybody listening to this podcast in prison, out of prison? I want you to pray over them and speak life into them, and uh, and just close out this podcast. And we don't have to listen to me anymore. I don't need to do any more final thoughts after this. I may still go on there and say see you next week, but I want you to I want you to pray this Father's Day prayer out and um, pray over everybody everybody listening. Absolutely. Thank you again, Father. Thank you for this opportunity to uh, just share what you've done in our lives. Father, I specifically pray for the, uh, the men in prison right now that are listening. And um, I just pray that they 
keep a connection with their kids. One of the things that you've allowed me to do with my son Bryce is to tell him that I love him and that I'm proud of him and I'm glad that he's my son. It keeps a connection. And Father, just keep the connections with all the fathers in prison with their kids on the outside and and just lead them to share how much they love their kids and they're proud of their kids and they're glad uh, that, that that they're their dad. And Father, just use these fathers to impact and heal their kids even while they're in prison. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Hey, man, uh, listen, if you're listening to this and you know somebody's life can be impacted by hearing this story, hearing Jim's story, um, share it. Share it. Again, I don't care if you leave us a review on Apple. That's great. But uh, the most important thing you can do is share this with somebody else, whether you're in prison, whether you're in female prison, male population, go tell somebody else to download this episode right now. And if you're out of prison, share this with somebody who you know might either be a victim or might have a similar story and, uh, and, and, and let them be impacted. And we'll, we will see y'all. Uh, we'll see y'all next week. We got a good episode next week. So hang on and uh, happy father's day to everybody. All right. I don't have much final thoughts after that, man. He already prayed. I love y'all. We got Craig long coming up next week. If you don't know him, he's a, outspoken conservative on social media, but he's also got a, a background that he's risen above and it's been good getting to know him. So um, love y'all. Happy Father's Day weekend. Bless y'all. Be blessed in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Background Check Podcast brought to you by Forgiven Felons, helping people with a past realize their future. For more information, please visit ForgivenFelons.org. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and please don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss the latest episode. I'm J.D. Gum, and this has been Background Check.